The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Six minutes past eight. Are words becoming a reflection of our everyday lives? This is a question that we're asking on the forum this morning. We look at a subset of language, words or expressions used by people which inevitably become regular common words used in society. Now take fubbing, for example, the act of snubbing someone in a social setting by looking at your phone instead of paying attention. Alex Hay. 23, a resident of Melbourne, Australia, is the founder of the Stop Fubbing movement. He says the idea came into fruition while he and his friends were chatting on the subject of how rude it is to be ignored while somebody is fiddling around with a smartphone. So on the forum, we examine the specific vocabulary structures used in less formal situations and just how words influence our behavior. Are they a reflection of our societies? What we do? What's the purpose of words? These and other questions that you can also come up with yourselves. So we say very good morning and welcome to our guest. Mr. Clive Simpkins is a marketing and communication strategist. A very good morning to you. Good morning. And we're on the line to Mr. Andy Lengaba. He's a South African businessman who's uh, devoted most of his life and career to the field of technology, in particular communications. A very good morning to you as well. Uh, good morning, good morning, Professor. Let's first start with you, Mr. Simpkins. You were talking about uh, fubbing not so long ago. Your reaction to just the term itself and, and just how much of the world or society is beginning to express itself in words that uh, relate to sounds or even our environment? You know, we always have used words that reflect uh, societal evolution. Because if we take uh, an onion, for example, the middle layer of that onion or the core would be thoughts. Beyond that would be feelings and beyond that would be behavior. And part of behavior is the language we use and the words we use. Fubbing for me is not an accurate term at all. Mm. Because if I snub you, I'm doing that intentionally. Whereas fubbing, which is the word that that man coined, is not an intentional activity. It's uh, people who are engrossed with electronic devices and become so engrossed they don't realize what they're doing most of the time, including mothers with children around them who do that. And does coming up with words like that then further influence people's behavior? And I'm asking this on the basis of how you're objecting to the word and, and what it relates to. No, I, you know, I, what I love about language, and that's all languages, is they evolve. So every year we read about new words that are incorporated into the Oxford uh, English Dictionary, for example. Last year, the, the word of the year was hashtag uh, that we all use in social media, but that got incorporated. So as societies evolve, uh, language evolves with it, and that is to be celebrated. And it's the behavior that drives the language rather than the other way around. And uh, Mr. Ngaba, your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, yes. Yes, I'm asking about your thoughts on that. Yeah, if I may just uh, take you back a little bit. Yeah. Um, if you look at technology today, and you probably, you know, look back 20 or 50 years, I mean, today people are on Twitter, on email, on Facebook, on Dig, on, uh, you know, Cora, on probably more than 15 or 20 social media platforms, and including email. Now, how one then would juxtapose that and being present when you do something? I mean, this conversation we are having today, mm. you know, both of the three of us, we have to be present, you know, in mind, in thought, 
in the way we think about the questions and how we answer, you know, the questions we are discussing with you. The, the critical issue is how these technologies, you can be able to use them to benefit yourself, but at the same time, you have a deep understanding of how to be present as and when you have to either deal with your child or in a meeting or with anything you do. Sometimes the influence of all the things we are involved in, you know, create this uh, environment of people being anxious, of wanting to be where they are not. You know, if you are in a meeting, you are thinking about your email, you are thinking about, you know, what people are preaching about, you want to be elsewhere. It is something, unfortunately, that is affecting society, it's affecting productivity in organizations, it's generally affecting families, it's affecting people at school, it's affecting everybody. Positively or negatively? Say it again? Positively or negatively? Both, both, to be honest with you. I mean, I'll start with the negative ones and then come back. I mean, I think negatively is that sometimes you do see people uh, sitting in a meeting which is supposed to discuss something very, very serious, and yet uh, somebody is thinking about all the emails that are coming or somebody has you know, other things that they have to respond to. And that that ability to be present and at the same time to want to do other things, it's, it's what actually has a negative impact on productivity in people, whether at home or at work or in different types of conversations. But positively, at the same time, we, we have learned and we are able to do things and be able to respond to things almost fast and quick because of what these technologies are able to provide us. And we are able not only to hear and understand what's happening around us when you only read a newspaper in the morning or when you have to listen to radio and watch television later in the day, instantaneously you are able to get this. So it is that balance that we have to provide. But then if you pick this up to between two individuals, you are talking to somebody and you expect that person to listen to you, or you are calling a person, you expect the person to respond, and yet this person has multiple activities that he or she is involved in. It is certainly something that, you know, it has to be addressed, or if I send you an email, I ask you, why didn't you respond to my email? This is 48 hours later. And yet probably you were on air, you had so many other things to do. You haven't even had time to look at that email. But where I come from, I expect you to have read the email and respond to the things that I was asking you to respond to. Well, we-
we are hoping to get some entomologists on the ship. So if you are one and you'd like to call in and comment on this, please do 891 or just uh, if you'd like to uh, come up with some words which you think apply to uh, society now or uh, also <coughs> technology, Mr. Simpkins, which is what I'd like to get to. Just how much does technology influence the manner in which we communicate and in turn uh, change language uh, and even inform the manner in which we express ourselves. I mean, if we're just talking about smart smartphones alone, <laughs> it's very interesting. One t- you, you even wonder if you're smart enough or the phone is a little bit too smart for us. <laughs> Guaranteed to give us all an inferiority complex. Bottom line to it is we are, we're living in a social dispensation where for the first time technology is in fact driving the way we communicate. So take Twitter, <clears throat> where you have 140 characters, we have learned to distill stories and to discuss, uh, to distill talking points into 140 characters, which is uh, shorter even than a single SMS, as it were. And we, we just need to embrace it. It's not going to go away and it's not going to change. Our children today are what we would call digital natives. They're born with all of that stuff. <clears throat> Forgive me, so it's not like they have to uh, acquire the skills to use the technology or adapt to it. They're born. They, we have two-year-olds, and I celebrate that, sitting playing simple games uh, on an iPad, for example. So in neurological development terms, those things are a huge plus. Now, is it creating better communicators or are we worse off? I mean, if we think about living language, that uh, that has a dynamic flow to it. But l- language in the past has been rather um, formal. The strictures themselves are very tightly enforced. But nowadays people write, uh, and I think assuming that everybody understands you in, in terms like OMG or LMAO, mm. half the time I never have a clue what people are talking about. Mm. Bottom line to it is that what has changed is in the days before all of these electronic gizmos, when you had mail ships that took six weeks to sail to South Africa and deliver letters, for example, the spread and the change of language was much slower as a result. Today, what we do is somebody puts a word on the Internet, um, and that can gain viral uh, replication, and it can gain currency within a day, and suddenly we have a new word in the vocabulary. So it's really the speed of our communications today that has resulted in the speed of language change at the same time. Now, Mr. Ngaba, just your sense of where we're going then, technologically speaking and in terms of language, is it going to lead to perhaps better technology, um, the terms that we come up with, and is it going to make language uh, easier for interpretation and understanding? If I may, again, I'll, I'll go back. I mean, if, if you take Latin, English, and Greek, I mean, just as an example, I mean, probably more than 500 years ago, I mean, English was not as developed as Latin and Greek in disciplines such as medicine, uh, uh, philosophy, and and science. But English developed over time, and they managed to borrow words from Greek and Latin to develop law, I mean, disciplines such as law, philosophy, medicine, science, etc., so languages, they do evolve and they develop. And, I mean, languages have to develop. Even our own languages, we have to continuously develop them. 
you know, ensure that all these terms that we're talking about in technology today, they can be in Sutu, Zulu, or, or Shangan, or any of these languages. It is very important that languages must continuously develop so that as technologies develop, we need to develop our own languages. I mean, as science is developing, we need to ensure that our languages basically will then have all these terms in our own languages. So that is very, very important. I mean, language is something that will continue to evolve and will continue to develop. I mean, an undeveloped language is very, very, very dangerous for any society, in particular in the life of science and technology that we live in. Having said that, I mean, going forward into the future, I mean, I'll make an example of such, you know, just something that we do all the time. There are technologies today that are being developed, I mean, looking at what is called phonetic search, meaning to search your radio station over the last 20 years, how you search using words, you know, programs that you might have conducted 10 years ago or 6 years ago or 15 years ago. You might look at a health program. You might, or for instance, 20 years from today, if somebody is interested in this program that you conducted today between uh, a certain period Mm. of time. So, you know, we need to be able in the future, you know, to search this program and be able to listen to it, whether it's 15 years from today. Now, for us to be able to do that, we need to digitize our languages, I mean, to use the term just more generically, or we need to build what I would call, you know, digital dictionaries in each and every language that we have. For instance, Africa as a whole has more than 2,000 languages. We need to build these dictionaries for future, I mean, so that people can be able to search radio stations, programs of radio stations over a long period of time, so that people can be able to pull uh, whatever information that you want in any language that that information has been stored over a very long period. That is where things are going. But you have to build dictionaries. You have to build in those dictionaries context, you know, tokenization in language so that future radio programs, future television programs, you can use simple words to search what you are looking for in, in, in the programs. I'm just using radio as an example. For instance, all the archives of FAFM or Ukozi or any of the radio stations, the city, etc., must be searchable in the future simply mm-hmm. by using words of that specific language. Oh, 891 We're taking a course. We're asking the questions whether words are becoming more of a reflection of our everyday lives. Give us a call on this number, 891 We'll take your SMS as 34701. To write for SMS, we are on Twitter, available on the handle at AMLive on SAFM. South African medical doctors are among the best in the world. They have been pioneers in the medical fraternity for years. Through astute leadership, groundbreaking innovation, and sheer professionalism, they have surely lived up to their pledge to care for others. Leading the way in acknowledging and celebrating their excellence is Bonita's Medical Fund, letting our doctors know that we admire them, we believe in them, we commend them, we respect them, and we thank them. 
Congratulations to all the winners. This message was brought to you by the South African Medical Association and Bonitas Medical Fund. Global economic challenges continue to affect South Africa with higher levels of unemployment, especially the youth, coupled with slow economic growth forecast at levels below 3%. The South African Trade, Investment and Tourism Promotion Guide, in partnership with SAFM, will be hosting monthly radio broadcasts to promote trade and investment opportunities to local business and foreign investors. We invite business from all sectors to join us at the launch of Gauteng Symposium on the 26th of August 2013 in Pretoria. To participate, contact Boyce Fatshaneni at 082-923-4402 or email at boycech at bbmmedia.co.za Also visit www.southafricanguide.co.za And now it's here. FAFM proudly presents the best of the African Connection with Richard Mwamba, the dance edition. Dance yourself silly in this compilation of the best dance numbers of the African Connection with Richard Mwamba, now available at reputable CD outlets. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 23 minutes past uh, 8. We're looking at words and whether or not they're a reflection of our everyday lives, how they influence our behavior or whether how our behavior influences words, the creation of words, the uh, dynamism that uh, has brought about what some even say is slang or functional language. Uh, Some uh, say, for instance, uh, fobbing is as a result of that. Uh, Fubbing, rather, not fobbing, (laughs) but I suppose one and the same, isn't it? So what are your thoughts around this? 891 Let's uh, hear from you. I have Jenna on the line from Cape Town. You run an etiquette school. Jenna, very good morning to you. Hi, and good morning to you. So what are your thoughts on the subject? Well, my subject was actually to pick up on what one of the earlier gentlemen were talking about with cell phones and all your eye tablets in meetings. Mm. And it's actually, from a speaker's point of view, very difficult to be speaking to the top of people's heads instead of having eye contact with mm. them. And you're really not sure anymore whether they are actually listening to you and writing notes or whether they're actually looking at their emails. So when you have someone sitting next to you typing merrily, you're also, again, not sure whether they're typing notes of what the speaker is saying, but it's oh, like yeah, having a fidgeter next to you. Thanks a lot, Jenna. Jenna, uh, 891-104-28, if you'd like to chat to us about this. Uh, Mr. Sumskins, I'd like to follow up on something that Mr. Nabo was saying, and, and I just had in mind how... He was speaking about African and the many languages that come out of Africa. And I was wondering, just ahead of the the World Cup, there were um, blogs and all sorts of things teaching people about certain words in South Africa, what they mean. And I was wondering about the development of language as a result of events and, and just generally whether or not... Um, it has made communication far easier for people. He was, um, I was talking about searching for words, for instance, as well. Has it made connection with different cultures also easier? 
Can I just go back to your caller? I'd, I'd uh, concern about people in an audience. There's a rather dear little joke. It says when you're speaking at a conference and you see executives tapping away on their iPads, what we do know is that they're not making notes. They're playing Angry Birds. So <clears throat> that uh, may set her concerns at rest. You know, in a broad sense, uh, if you take young people today, the use of uh, platforms like Mixit, for example, on, uh, to communicate with each other, and the use of SMS, and the SMS speak, the text speak that they've developed, what's actually happened is they've almost developed um, a hybrid of the standard language. And it's become something which to older people can, if you try to read it sometimes, be completely incomprehensible. We don't know what they mean by a lot of that stuff. The paradox is two things that come out of that. One, their social skills have suffered hugely. They tend to spend an awful lot of time texting each other, even at social functions. So they will be sitting spread around the wall, and the room is totally silent, but there's an incredible conversation going on, but it's an electronic conversation. And the second thing from a British study shows that their short-term memories are appalling. They don't remember names, they don't remember numbers, they don't remember detail. It's all on Google, or it's all in their mobile phone. So when... We talk the impact that the technology is having on social structures as such. It is altering the way we behave, and I don't necessarily think it's in a negative way. It's just a different way. Many of them, for example, if I take the little guy that I look after, will have on his laptop computer, he will be running a DVD at the same time, and he will be on his iPad, and he can tell you at any given moment what is happening on all three of those devices. Now, let's talk, uh, Mr. Ngaba, about uh, the development of language and politics and I'm asking this on the basis that it said the development of Afrikaans for instance during the 1920s and 1930s has generally been seen as a success and uh, we have you were speaking about uh, that vis-a-vis technology earlier on and just think about my smartphone now that I can write something it's a Soto or Zulu and it actually can automatically write the correct spelling uh, or even put it in the right uh, context is that also a, man, a manner in which we're using education and technology in tandem I think this is the area that is still being uh, developed I mean both I mean in uh, in models of learning, whether what is called uh, pedagogy or epistemology, or pedagogy being, you know, or, or both. Mm. The, the, the big issue today is, I mean, if, if I, I'll use a simple example of how people were taught 20, 40 years ago, I mean, or, or, or numbers, you know, numerics, I mean, how people today are taught. I mean, based on all the things and the tools we have, or even questions about geography, questions about history, and the ability for people to now search and find information almost instantaneously. Therefore, learning and the way in which we acquire knowledge has to change. I mean, because of the ability and the models of us able to get this information as quickly as for, as possible. We cannot really assume that, you know, we will, I mean, the way in which education has been has been there for over 800 years, and to a certain extent, some parts of it have not changed. And I think because of technology, we need to think about how people learn and how people are taught 
in how people consume knowledge and how people consume information. These are very different things. I mean, we, we cannot assume, I mean, if, uh, you know, I mean, I'll give an example. I mean, my son tells me more about news today because he's more on Twitter than me. And while probably 10 years ago, I mean, I would read the newspapers and tell him that this is what is happening. I mean, today, I I almost probably I'm six hours behind him in picking up what is happening. I mean, the other day he was saying to me, uh, did you hear that uh, this is what happened uh, in Nairobi airport? And this was six hours later, and I didn't pick that up whatsoever. And he picked it up almost at the time at which it was happening because he was on Twitter at that moment. We'll take more calls and read your SMSs. It's 8.30 now. Let's uh, go to Fabachini Chetty for the news headlines, followed by Rob Byrne on the stage of the road. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 27 minutes to nine. We're talking about words, 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 whether or not they're a reflection of our everyday lives, how they influence our behavior, how they uh, transform us, if at all. We're taking your calls on 891 some SMSs, but it's okay to respond to issues quickly, sometimes without thinking. Kunzi wants to know, I suppose, this with regards to Fabing and David in Mabatu says, the cutting short of long words to make a statement, and this uh, tends to be the norm as the the instinct today, especially ASAP, Tsepiso uh, Mokwena says, Hi Tsepiso, could you please ask your guests what is the difference between language development and language growth? Francis says, Technology is fine, but people fiddle with gadgets in company and it's very irritating. James says, English cannot be developed anymore, but degraded by modern slang. And uh, we're now joined uh, by Professor Michael Teitelstadt, who is a professor of English at the University of the Witwatersrand. A very good morning to you, and thank you very much for joining us, Professor. Good morning. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for calling. Of course, we continue our conversation with Mr. Clive Simpkins, who's a marketing and communication strategist, as well as Mr. Andy Lienglava, South African businessman who's devoted much of his life and career to the field of technology, in particular communications. Just come back to you, Professor, on the mm. issue of... Uh, what James is asking whether or not uh, English can be developed or uh, but that is being more degraded because of slang and I, I'm just thinking in terms of the western world of study of language that began as a philosophical inquiry into origins looking at the Greeks for instance but even the word slang has always been in contention its roots, yes. its meaning etc. Uh, absolutely absolutely. You know, I think the main thing is that language has always been dynamic and there's a section of of, of any sort of community that believes that the standard of language needs to be retained, that there's something pure about a language. But in reality, languages are involved in a constant process of transformation and change. And English has been a hybrid language made of different languages since its inception, and its development just continues along new and different lines. So I wouldn't think immediately about questions of decline and degradation. I think that's... a uh, a rather fatalistic way of looking at transformation. At, at the same time, though, I think the, just related to what the previous speaker was saying, the speed at which information now circulates and the ways in which texts circulate in fragments in various technological media does lead to a kind of danger of being sort of wrecked in the shallows of expression and argument because I think we are becoming inclined to um, snippets of information rather than actually detailed opinion or developed argument and critique. And I think the 
in many ways we have to adjust to it and accommodate to it because it's a tendency that won't alter. But at the same stage, I think there is an argument in favor of allowing those media to exist alongside longer forms of writing and analysis and argument. And I think in a way we lose them at our peril. Just, and I'll go back to the the word slang and its Germanic mm. roots, etc. Yes, Does yes. language uh, create a subset of, of people and their behavior? I mean, the word slang relates to so many uh, different groupings and what it actually meant. Yeah. At some point it was said to refer to criminals or even gypsies' right, private language. That's right. I mean, you know, I think, what, I think the way that languages evolve, and English is a perfect example because it's such a hybrid language throughout its history, is that certain communities develop certain protocols of speaking and particular vocabularies, and sometimes those might be subcultures, so they might be smaller groups in society, but those subcultures often eventually filter into the mainstream in one way or another. And so that language is never really, this idea of a received and standardized language is something of a, a sort of academic myth. And I think it's something of a, an ideological myth on the part of conservatives very often, because in reality, it's those subcultural um, dialects of, of the main language, in this case English, which actually spur on language transformation and change. So sort of the idea of, I mean, slang also has to do with register in the sense that it's a less formal, more colloquial spoken rather than written form. But in reality, even a standard written form is impossible to maintain under the impact of cultural and economic and political change. So I think often the the kind of anxiety that people feel about the language is also ideologically driven. I mean, for a long time in this country, there was a kind of backlash against accents that were not uh, received pronunciation and standard pronunciation. So when black South Africans read the news for the first time on SABC, there was a kind of outcry about pronunciation and the decline of the language. And all of those are really just reactionary conservative sentiments because there is no correct form of English, mm. and there is no singular form of English. There are multiple forms of English spoken across the world by different communities, and even within communities, the use of English is, is varied and hybrid and mixed with other languages, and people switch among languages or between languages. So I think it's often a kind of um, a sort of desire to retain standards, and I think it plays into that kind of anxiety. But at the same time, I think people should just relax and get on with with the sort of uh, mm. conviction that language is dynamic, and that's in fact a, a positive reflection of our changing world. Clive Simpkins, that's a very interesting uh, thing, and what the professor is saying, actually touching a raw nerve with me, just having uh, been in it, in the industry and having read news perhaps in what the last 18 years or so, and I'm wondering how that also relates to identity because people will then assume that if you pronounce things in a particular way that this is the sum total of who you are, what your convictions are, your ideologies. Just as a, exactly. a, a communications yeah. uh, expert, how do you, what do you say to clients about this kind of thing? I always say to people, um, your accent is not a reflection of your intellect. So if you take, and I don't mean this in any peculiar way, if you take Mr. Lingnaba's um, 
accent, for example, behind that is a very, very fine mind. So you might get people listening to how he's speaking English as opposed to listening to what he's saying. And that is completely and utterly wrong. So these are stereotypes. And what we have to do is to learn to listen to what the person is saying, not listen to how they're saying it. Hmm. And just that uh, blog that I was speaking about that was teaching people South African slang, just how it also informs mindsets. It's very interesting because on uh, one of those it says, calling doing a bafana, they say the explanation is to demand more money for average service derives from the reputation of the weak South African side, the bafana bafana, which has yet to make it beyond disky football, which is township slang. Very intriguing because I'm sure uh, there are people who disagree with that, but surely that informs a mindset as well. You know, social media has changed the way young people in particular speak. The very fact that we say something is trending in social media today Mm. tells you that that may trend for 10 minutes, it may trend for half a day, it may trend for a day. Bottom line to it is we've developed almost an international attention deficit disorder, exactly what the prof said. We've become accustomed to browsing information and picking up snippets, even mainstream printed uh, (coughs) news media have accommodated that in the sense that their layouts now are little snippets, they're paragraphs, they're lots of pictures. So they've understood the societal evolution and they're going with the flow. 891 we're taking your calls on this number, 891 Perhaps before we do that, Mr. Ngaba, just to come back to you on language and it facilitating face-to-face time, technology in the midst of that, how much has it undercut that? If I may, you know, just I'll pick up from what uh, uh, my two colleagues said earlier. I mean, and just give a context to, for us, I mean, my my view is that in the digital world that we are getting into, you know, where almost everything we do, we have to get into the Internet and we have to... You know, whether we learn or whether we conduct business, whether it is the social environment, whatever we do, this digital life that we are living on the Internet, it is important that we develop our respective languages there. Because if your language is not well developed in the digital environment, it is going to be very difficult not only to operate going into the future, but historically to be able to work on your, you know, culture, to be able to work on your information, to be able to do things in your language is going to be very difficult. And it takes a long time to build these language structures on the Internet or in the digital life. And therefore, really what one would encourage is the fact that All languages, you know, I mean, the people who either are members of that language group must try their best to develop those languages in this digital environment we're getting into, you know, in order to preserve their culture, in order to preserve a whole range of things, that to to preserve their history, because a language that is not searchable in the future, right, both phonetically or written language, you know, might slowly 
uh, find itself uh, not being used. And therefore, you know, people might lose a lot of their history, their culture, if they are unable to take their language in the digital environment. And there are, of course, you know, ways of doing this. I mean, there are standards in the way in which you create digital platforms of your language. There are software tools that you use to do this. There's a lot. There are algorithms you use. I mean, we are going today into what is called big data, whereby you can dive deep into huge amounts of information and be able to extract and make sense or do analytics in things that, you know, we couldn't do before. And if your language is not structured like that, you cannot be able to do these things in the future. So I sincerely would encourage, you know, language departments at universities, etc., to to take this future of digital life very seriously and to take this future of big data very seriously and to be able to say, how do people create these digital dictionaries and these algorithms in order to be able to do dynamic search in each and every language uh, going forward? Just uh, as an aside, what kind of life has it created for geeks, Mr. Ngaba? I mean, they were at a time uh, regarded as outcasts, but now it seems that uh, geeks are, are the new rock stars of the day. Sorry? I'm talking about geeks. Oh, geeks. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying you know, at some I'm, point they're, they were regarded I, I as outcasts, and now it seems they're almost the new rock it's stars. It's a cool of thing to be a geek. I yes. Think. Yeah. It's a cool thing to be a geek today. I mean, I mean, you can see that. I mean, people, I mean, the life of developing applications, just to give an example, people are trying applications for anything, you know. I mean, applications to open up your curtains, whether you are there or not there, you know, applications to to basically, you know, understand the language that you cannot speak where I speak to you over the phone in Venda, you are speaking English, and we can understand each other, you know, and there is simultaneous translation, you know, between two people speaking so that there's no delay or a third person who is going to... So these are all things that are being developed by gigs today. So that's why gigs are cool. You know, they're cool not only because they develop, you know, all those big complex things that are either used by business or academia, because they do things that ordinary people, ordinary people are able to use. I mean, whether it's Instagram, whether it's taking photos, whether it's characters on Twitter, I mean, or whether generally, you know, ask to find out where is the cool party around the area where you are, where is, mm. you know, the best restaurant, or, you know, how you locate people and friends and family. These things impact ordinary life ordinary people. And therefore, you know, it's cool to code today software. It's cool to be, you know, a, a software developer. It's cool to develop mobile applications. It's cool to do these things. And we encourage a lot of young people, you know, to join this, you know, movement of developing things, you know, for society, one to improve life and to enhance life. I mean, I don't know if you, you follow all this transhumanity discussions are taking place, which, again, language is part of. There are languages that are going to be born in the future 
which today, you know, have never been seen because of the way in which technology is going to change the way in which we do things. We are trying to enhance life and we are trying to improve the way we do things and the way we understand ourselves. So it's cool to be part of that environment. And software is the driver of these things, uh, basically, today. Professor, just to merge that, I mean, if we're speaking about the sciences, has language moved from the philosophical to the more empirical sciences? Are we more about the observable facts about language? I think certain disciplines such as social linguistics focuses very much on language communities and protocols of communication and vocabularies within communities and sub-communities. I think, to be honest, I mean, we have a, a program at this university of, of, on computational linguistics, but actually the shortfall that we're experiencing and I think is being experienced across the tertiary education sector is a decline in students' interest in learning languages other than English. So the African languages, for example, at all universities, with very few exceptions, are really struggling. And I think there's an incredible sadness, and I I loathe to use the word crisis, but I think it is a a situation of almost crisis proportions, precisely for for the fact that the previous speaker was outlining that people's uh, cultural memories, their histories, their forms of community are, are, are articulated in a particular vocabulary and language and its loss is a fundamental, um, will have fundamental consequences for processes of transculturation and sort of transhuman exchanges of different forms in the future. So I think we need a, without it being seen as reactionary, and that's why I like the, 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 the point about finding ways of incorporating these new lang- these these languages into new digital environments i think that's absolutely essential if those languages are going to continue to be vital and to develop into the future mm-hmm. but it's a very it's a very hard ask with the kind of universalization of english and i'm head of an english department so we're slightly complacent but the other the other languages are truly battling and it's actually a worldwide phenomenon i read yesterday in the guardian the uk guardian that 13% of modern language departments have shut in the United Kingdom in the last year. So there's this general turn away from learning new languages um, or learning second or third languages for people, and I think that's incredibly detrimental and has potentially very far-reaching effects in the future. I've got a call from Matala in Durban. A very good morning, Matala. You say we need to use our own languages more. Hello. Hi, yeah. Every language is embedded with its own values and developmental biases. Since modern English, as we know it today, is a product of a historical and cultural process totally alien to African culture. In fact, there aren't words in English to describe the values of African culture. For example, Ubuntu. There is no such word. They deliberately threw away these values which are, which apply to cultural values and put in English values which are often alien to African culture. And this is the problem. We are destroying our own culture by not using our language. Our language brings us back to our cultural ideals, 
the importance of caring for others, Ubuntu, where that English has no such word and it leads us to individualism. Individuals are more important than society. This is the basic problem we are facing today. Thanks a lot, Matana. Just, uh, Professor, I realize that you have to go. I, I, I want to ask you about uh, what is uh, referred to uh, about neo-grammarianism, I think, uh, just with regards to the study of sound change uh, and the past couple of centuries. Uh, is, is that growing more? Are we seeing a lot more of sound-related language, uh, should I say, creativity? I think that absolutely and I think that's when I spoke about language flexibility and adaptability I think that's really what I was referring to is that the idea of a a strict set of grammatical rules and principles um, which are abiding and binding under all circumstances is really an unworkable way of approaching both history culture and and essentially sort of transnationalism or trans community Mm. communication just I, in that sort of in that regard, I'd just like perhaps to say one last thing about their previous speakers' comments. I, the idea that that cultures, any of them, are absolutely independent of one another, and that, that they simply impose themselves on others and displace prior cultures, is also not entirely true. And I'm always worried a little bit about the idea of African culture as a kind of singular phenomenon, because there are, of course, multiple African cultures and multiple African languages within South Africa and certainly beyond South Africa. And I think one wants to have a much more dynamic sense of the way in which the intersection of language, new ethical and imaginative and creative opportunities have arisen. And the idea that we can revert to a pure language that will restore our values and cultural identity is is actually fortunately completely untrue because to do so is a kind of reactionary and often has sort of dictatorial nationalist consequences. So I think I can think I come in there? Yes, uh, uh, Mr. Noah, you can go ahead. I mean, if, if, you, if you look at, you know, worldwide, I mean, Mandarin is the second largest language in the digital environment. And I can guarantee you in the next 10 years or so, it will be much, much ahead of English in almost every respect in the digital environment because of a concerted effort by Mandarin uh, speakers in most parts of Asia to ensure that, you know, they can not just preserve but continue to develop Mandarin as as one of the leading languages in the digital environment. If, if you'll allow me to just release Professor, because I, I understand that he has to go and thank him as well. Professor of English at the University of Witwatersrand, Professor Michael Teitelstadt, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. That's an absolute pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Enjoy you the rest the of the day. Bye-bye. And Mr. Ngab, I think you'd also like to listen to this and perhaps respond. Marcia in Cape Town says, Colonialist gave Africans the written word. Very much. Marsha, good morning. Yes, good morning. Um, look, I'd just like to reply to Matala. Um, his views are very strident always and very much appreciated. But look, I just want to mention that um, the written word in all the African languages was actually given to them by the colonialists and the imperialists. And you know, what was absolutely amazing was that no matter where the missionaries went, um, all these people did 
get a Bible and in their own language. And, you know, there's so many dialects that um, when other missionaries came, I mean, it was an absolute godsend that there, um, these um, people from all their different areas came carrying their own Bible with their, their, you know, in their own tongue. And I think that is um, absolutely amazing. Well, when you read about it, it is. So I'd just like to bring that forward, and I'd love to hear the views expressed by everybody else. Thank you. Okay, thank you. thanks, Master. I, I realize I cut you off there, Mr. Ngawa. Perhaps you'd like to respond to that and uh, complete your train of thought. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, there are more than 2,000 languages in the African continent. And probably we have more languages than any other continent, if you want. And and that is a representation of the African wealth, the African tradition, the African value, African history. I mean, since pre-civilization. I mean, there there are studies today to basically try and understand language and human DNA. I mean, and I I really would would honestly request that. I mean, people can't say that, you know, the fact that Africa has over 2,000 languages and these languages were almost uh, developed elsewhere. I mean, I think this is a demonstration of the wealth and history of this African continent. Mm. Okay. And therefore, and over, I mean, this has happened over, over centuries, I mean, the existence of these languages. And again, I mean, the way in which people express themselves phonetically and the way in which people express themselves in written words. I mean, you can go back in Timbuktu and look at archives. You will see that, or you can go to Ethiopia, you can go to different parts of the African continent. There's been development of language and writing I'm going to have to centuries. stop you there, Mr. Ngaba, because I need to get uh, Clive Simpkins to give us his final word on the topic. I, I, if you can, just speak to the issue of the development of language, and especially what we're seeing in ad campaigns. I think what we're doing in South Africa is absolutely fabulous. I think it's a science ad that talks about computerizing. I think it's just absolutely refreshing and fabulous. Yeah, you know, I would just make a final comment, which is every generation is going to look at the younger generation and say they're ruining the language and they're taking it down into the gutter and they're messing with it and in the process, they're messing with our culture. That complaint would have been made for hundreds of years. We need to understand it's about evolution and we need to deal with it. And uh, just to end off by reading some SMSs, words have the power to shape our reality more than just reflecting it, but the power of the word has been diluted by inappropriate use like when bad means good. What about students constantly walking out of a teaching lecture to answer their cell phones? What a sad, emotionally detached state when people can't be face-to-face any longer, says Marianne Port Elizabeth. And Lamli says so we need to channel our energies to choosing one African language as our official language so that South Africans can unite our efforts in one direction. Thank you so much to my guests. Thanks for your insight, uh, enjoyable conversation, marketing and communication strategist uh, Clive Simpkins, as well as Andy Lengaba, who's a South African businessman who's devoted most of his life and career to the field of technology, in particular communications. Thanks to the team, Tracy Boomgard and Zwaiki Ku, Gwenze Yilen, Senior producers Lungile Mabaso and Klingi Mabaso, technical producers Mark Pelin and Izzy Parayachi.